Hey guys, this is Chelsea Eithoven and you're listening to Vibrancy Radio. I spent the better part of two decades in pursuit of shrinking my body, but diet after diet, I still never felt enough. And I don't know about you, but the last word I would use to describe myself while on a diet is vibrant. After becoming a certified health and nutrition coach, I finally dropped the diets, learned to trust my body again, and rediscovered the vibrancy that was within me all along. And now I help women like you do the same. Vibrancy Radio is your new go-to resource for science-backed nutritional knowledge, major mindset shifts, and body image breakthroughs. So if you're ready to stop feeling so dang stressed about food all the time and start focusing on all the things that make you unique and vibrant, then welcome to the show. Hello, 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 my wonderful rays of sunshine. I am so happy to have you here. Welcome back to Vibrancy Radio or welcome if it's your first time listening. I am Chelsea Eithoven, a certified holistic health coach and your host. So it has been a minute since I've recorded a podcast. Well, actually, that's not true. I have been recording podcasts, but it's been a minute since I have released a podcast. <laughs> so I just think this is kind of funny. So I'm going to tell you guys what happened. And this is also a really good lesson in perfectionism, which is my natural tendency for sure. Um, and in this story, you'll hear why. <laughs> so um, this is probably the fourth or fifth time I've recorded this full podcast. Uh, I can't remember now if it's the fourth or the fifth time. Um, so what happened was my wonderful, wonderful, wonderful friend and past client um, sent me a microphone so that I could record my podcasts and have really amazing sound quality. And I was so excited to record with the microphone. I was so pumped. And so I recorded the podcast and listened back to it. And in the beginning, the, the quality sounded incredible. Oh my gosh, it sounded so good. And then it got really distorted. Like at four or five minutes, it was this really kind of actually scary sounding distortion. So <laughs> I, I re-recorded it, you know, and same thing happened. And I did this three times because I was so dead set on recording with this microphone and having my new and improved sound quality that I did not want to go back to recording on my phone. But it has been long enough and I've recorded the same podcast so many times that I just was like, you know what? It doesn't have to be perfect. The sound quality doesn't have to be perfect. I will figure out the whole situation with the microphone later, but this information needs to get out there and I need to stop trying to make it perfect and just get it out there. So now I'm recording on my phone. Um, I'm back in my husband's closet. My phone is currently tucked in one of his shoes. <laughs> and here I am. We're just going to get this information out there. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be perfect. You know, that's what I preach to my clients. And I realized that my perfectionism was totally holding me back from even getting this podcast out there. So just so you know, we also have our struggles. <laughs> um, but anyways, welcome back. I'm so happy to be recording again. It's so much fun. I love sharing information on this kind of platform. So I am happy to have you here. And the topic that we're going to discuss today is three ways that psychology matters more for fat loss than nutrition. 
And <laughs> again, I feel like I've mesmerized, memorized the information of this podcast because I've recorded it so many times. It's kind of funny. But um, I said three ways that psychology matters more for fat loss than nutrition. Truly and honestly, I think that they matter an equal amount. Uh, nutrition is obviously important when it comes to fat loss and reaching a health goal and up-leveling your body. I'm going to start using that phrase more because, you know, weight loss and fat loss are, are cool and all, but that's not the only thing I do for women. You know, what I, I feel like I help women across the board up-level their body and their experience in their body. Now, for some women, that does mean fat loss, right? That means feeling more comfortable in your physical body. And for some people, that means losing fat. But for some people, that doesn't mean losing fat at all. In fact, some people may be getting comfortable in the body that you're currently in. And some people, that may mean gaining weight and finding your natural set point that you it is so easy to maintain and you feel really, really, really good in your body. So um, yeah, I'm talking about fat loss here, but also in general, I think up-leveling your body is more of an accurate description of what I help women do. So, uh, my program, the vibrancy guide is a 13 week program and we discuss nutrition. Yes, absolutely. But we also discuss two other main things throughout the entirety of the program. And it's kind of weaved and, and intertwined throughout the whole program is number one, nutrition for up-leveling your body. Number two is the psychology of eating, and that is what we're going to dive into today. We're going to talk all about the psychology of eating, and I'm going to give you some, some things that you may not have considered when it comes to up-leveling your body and, and realizing what role your brain plays in in this whole process, um, but not discounting that and ignoring that and only focusing on a meal plan or whatever that is. And the third piece that we discuss in my program, The Vibrancy Guide, is manifestation and spirituality. But we're not going to get into that today, and we're not even really going to get into the nutrition of fat loss. We are just going to dive into the psychology of eating and why psychology matters um, in this whole process. So let's dive right in and talk about the first reason that psychology matters more for fat loss and up-leveling your body than nutrition does or on an equal playing field. The first reason is because a lot of the time we know what to do, but we just don't do it. So I see this happening in myself, in other people. I think this is a common human experience across the board for people with all kinds of goals. People can give us a straightforward plan. So if we're just talking about nutrition here, people can give us a meal plan and hand us a meal plan. And we'd be like, great, I know exactly what to do. And if I follow this meal plan stringently for three months, then I will lose the weight that I want to lose. Now, think about yourself in this type of circumstance. You may have tried a diet before and known exactly what to do, but does that mean that you always follow through and do it? <laughs> I think sometimes no, right? And I think actually a lot of the times it is not that simple. It's a lot more complex. 
And the reason that this is happening is because of something going on in our brain. There is something on a psychological level that is holding us back from doing the things that we know we should do to get to a certain goal. It's not just in the knowing, right? And so sometimes the phrase that knowledge is power Sometimes that phrase bothers me because I don't really feel like that's true. I know about so many different things, right? I know what I could probably do to train for the Olympics, but does that mean I'm going to do it? Absolutely not, right? Knowledge is not always power. I do think if we just shift this phrase a little bit to applied knowledge and we say that applied knowledge is power, that is so much more accurate, right? And that's what I want to give you today too, right? Some applied knowledge, some ways to apply the knowledge that psychology is affecting your eating. And this way you can understand it on a deeper level and work with your brain instead of against it. So an example of maybe knowing what to do, but not doing it, right, is is the fact that a lot of us sometimes a common experience and struggle that I hear from clients and that I used to struggle with, and sometimes I still do, I mean, I'm going to be honest, I'm human, you know, is the all or nothing mindset when it comes to the weekend, right? So you maybe do the meal plan or whatever it is really well all week, right? But then when it comes to the weekend, you completely give up your nutrition and you drink like crazy all weekend and you just eat whatever and you end up completely overeating. You know on some level that this is sabotaging your results, right? But why is it that you keep doing it over and over and over again? Again, it's psychology, right? You're falling into that same pattern and you know that that's not helping you but you're still continuing to fall into that pattern. This is some of the reason that psychology matters, right? It's not just getting a plan and following through with it. We need to overcome some of these habitual patterns. And the way that we overcome those is by diving a little bit deeper and understanding what's happening in our brain that's stopping us from doing the things that we know we should do or the things that rather than should do. I hate shooting on you or shooting on myself, right? (laughs) You never should do, but maybe things that you want to do and that you would like to be devoted to so that you can feel really good in your body. Um, Another example of maybe some, a self-sabotaging behavior that you may know, but don't always do is maybe you know that eating a small serving of ice cream totally will not mess up your entire plan to uplevel your body or lose fat. Yet, you avoid it altogether. You avoid sweets, you avoid sugar, you avoid ice cream because you don't trust yourself to just eat a small amount. You know that you could possibly do this, you know, but you feel like you can't, right? You don't trust yourself. You, If you do have the ice cream, you have a massive portion because you feel like you can't stop. So again, that's another example of, you know, eating a small amount might satisfy that craving. That should be something that you can be able to do, but you struggle with it because there's something deeper going on in your psychology that is giving you that compulsion to overeat every time you have sweets. So you know what to do, but you're not doing it, right? Um, And the answer to this, I think, is really self-reflection. And 
I, to be honest with you, we go way deeper into how to handle all this information and what to do with the information once you start cracking the code of the psychology of eating inside the Vibrancy Guide. We go over the psychology of eating um, and we also talk about the solutions to it, how to work with your brain instead of against it. But I think the answer is just self-reflecting and not only focusing on the nutrition piece and what to do, but also focusing heavily on the psychology piece and understanding the why behind some of your behaviors, right? So answering, finding the answers to some of the questions like, why is it that every time I eat sweets, I completely overdo it? Why am I falling into this pattern of eating quote unquote healthy during the week? Um, I, I say quote unquote healthy because I think healthy is so relative, but eating, I feel like that's a common phrase people use. Eating healthy throughout the week and then completely going and swinging to the other end of the pendulum on the weekend. Why am I doing that, right? Why am I emotionally eating? Do I have a emotional connection to food? Am I using food to possibly, you know, solve some problems that food can't solve? How do I start practicing moderation? What are the steps to start practicing moderation when it comes to food and food that, yeah, isn't ideal for fat loss, but can totally fit into a fat loss diet? And what's happening in my brain that's stopping me from doing the things that I say I'll do? Do I have a deeper reason or emotional attachment to food that isn't being addressed, right? Once we start uncovering the answers to these questions, it will reveal so much more about our eating patterns. And then we can create an individual plan for ourselves to overcoming these things. Things that a meal plan could never do for you, right? If somebody just wrote you a meal plan and wrote you an exercise plan, you would not get near the amount of of true tangible tips and results from that as you would if you start inspecting the answers to these problems. So that's the first reason that psychology matters when it comes to fat loss and up-leveling our body is that we know what to do, but we just don't do it. Um, And I think that covers really everything, but I do want to give you two more reasons. And reason number two that psychology matters in this process is that your habit loops are keeping you from making consistent choices for up-leveling your body. So what even is a habit loop? Let's start with that. Well, our brain loves to form, form habits. Because, I mean, first of all, it's obvious that habits make life life easier and more automatic, right? And the more that our brain feels like it can automate things and make things easier, it means the less energy you have to expend doing day-to-day habits. For example, so when you first learned to drive a car, do you remember how much thought went into everything? You sat down in the driver's seat, you buckled your seatbelt, you you adjusted your mirrors, you tried to remember which pedal was the gas, which pedal was the brake. You you are like, which one's the blinker? You're looking at all the things on the dashboard. Your brain is just an overdrive, right? And then that's before you've even left the driveway. Now, what do you do? You get in the car, you pop on a podcast or music, or you're thinking about something else, or you're talking to somebody on the phone, and your brain just does the work for you, right? You don't have to think about it. 
your brain does the work for you and you just, you go on about your merry way. (laughs) And sometimes you might even find yourself driving in the car and realizing that you have gotten somewhere and you don't even remember doing it. First of all, that, that is such a scary experience. You're like, oh my God, I don't even remember the last 10 minutes of my drive. But that is your brain on autopilot. That's your, that's a habit that your brain has made so that you don't have to think about that as much. So you can expend less energy, right? And why would our brain care about expending less energy? Well, we have to always consider the primal part of our brain that we have, um, that has evolved from our Paleolithic ancestors. Inside the Vibrancy Guide, we talk so much about our Paleolithic ancestors. My clients by the end of it are like probably so sick of hearing that phrase, but it's so important when it comes to habits and learning how to create habits, new habits that will benefit us in up-leveling our body and break old habits that are not benefiting us. So why our brain cares about expending less energy and making so many things an automatic habit is because when you expend less energy, you have a better chance of survival later on, right? So our our ancestors, when they were able to create habits in their brain and expend less energy, then that maybe later their brain thinks they're, they're saving up that energy so that they can run from a predator later, right? Um, and an interesting thing about our brain is our brain actually burns a lot of calories. I believe that it actually burns more calories than any other organ in our body. And you can fact check me on that because honestly, I'm not 100% certain and I don't remember where I heard that, but I thought it was really cool when I did hear that, that our brain burns a ton of calories So it's beneficial for us to be saving energy and expending energy in a certain way. Now, habits like driving or, you know, every time you put on your shoe, you automatically just tie it. Those are habits that are beneficial to us. But it's also interesting because we have to investigate habits that aren't benefiting us as well, right? So for example, if something that you do is every single time you walk in from work, you pour yourself a glass of wine and get a little bowl of salty snacks and you sit down and have your wine and your salty snacks, but you're on a mission to up-level your body, then that habit may not be serving you anymore. And so that may be something that you want to investigate and learn how to actually change, right? But if you're never aware of the habit loop and how habits work in our brain, then you might just feel the intense urge to do that every time you walk in the door and never understand how to overcome it, right? You have this plan, you got your meal plan, but you can't stick to it because you just want that wine. The call of the wine and the salty snack is too much to resist. So, Uh, Something else to know about habit tracks, (laughs) habit tracks, I'm about to say the word tracks, which is why it was in my brain. Something else to know about habits is you want to think about them like tire tracks. So I want you to imagine a truck on a dirt road. More specifically, let's say some dude, let's call him Fred. So let's say Fred just moved into a brand new home. He built his home on a new piece of land. This is all on my mind because we are thinking about building a home on a piece of land soon. <laughs> but there is no road there. And the first time Fred pulls up to his new house, he has to, you know, go down a very rocky, difficult path with his truck. There is no tracks there yet. There's nothing leading the way. And it's really difficult to to get to where he's trying to go. Now, 
Eventually, what happens? Fred drives home day after day after day after day, and those tracks become, there becomes a smooth track that he can follow. And it's so easy to just fall into those tire grooves, and it's smoothed out the dirt, and it's it, everything has gotten out of the way, and all he has to do is follow those tire tracks, and it's just so freaking easy to drive home, right? This is your brain creating a habit, right? The first time you do it, you haven't really created a habit. But when you repeat something over and over and over again, let's say the behavior is walking in the door and pouring a glass of wine and having the salty snacks. We're going to stick with that example. When you do that over and over and over again, your brain forms those really defined tracks. And that is the path of least resistance, Whenever Fred drives home, would it make sense? Would it be super easy for him to make a different brand new path, right? And right next to the other tire tracks, he wants to make a new path. Probably not. That path would have a lot of resistance and it would be difficult. And it would be like, oh my gosh, why the hell am I doing this when I could just drive on the tire tracks that I have spent years forming? That is the path of least resistance. Now, the habits that you have formed that you may be trying to change those are the tire tracks. Those are the path of least resistance. So when you are trying to break old habits and form new ones, essentially what you are trying to do is trying to form, trying to create new tire tracks next to the ones that you have spent years forming. That means that your brain is going to feel the energetic pull over and over and over again, and they're going to try and get you back on those tire tracks. Because like, why are we doing this? This is so difficult, right? Why don't we just stick to the thing that we know works? I know that having that glass of wine and, and having my salty snack relaxes me. It makes me feel good. Why are we trying to do something else? You know, you're going to feel that resistance. The thing you have to remember when you're forming new habits and breaking old ones is that the more, the first couple times, the first few times you start a new habit is going to be the absolute hardest. And the more you start solidifying that new habit, the more you start driving on those, that Fred starts driving on those new tire tracks, the easier it's going to become. And the pull to go back to the old ones, the old habits, will likely always be there. And sometimes you might fall back into it, but eventually you'll get to a place where you kind of forget that that was even a thing, okay? So I know I'm going deep down the rabbit hole of of, of habits and what is happening inside our brain, but this is so important to understand when we're thinking about our eating habits. The psychology of how habit loops form and why they form, I think understanding all this makes it, makes so much more sense. And we're like, oh, well, this is why I have such a hard time resisting my nightly glass of wine, right? And when we understand that and then have a strategy to overcome it, things start falling into place and and we can understand how to change it and how to, you know, enjoy things that we love, but out of the fact that we actually want them and we're actually enjoying them, not that we're being forced into them by our unconscious habits that we've created, right? Like we don't want to be a slave to the wine. We want to, I'm sorry, that was a very insensitive um, phrase. I take that back. We don't want to feel controlled by the wine um, or the salty snacks or the sweet snacks, whatever it is. So I, I started out this reason by 
calling, saying that your habit loops are keeping you from making consistent choices for fat loss. Now let's talk about what the habit loop actually is. So the habit loop, I want you to literally imagine a loop that goes around in circles and it consists of four stages. Okay. So the four stages are the cue, the craving, the response, and the reward. So let's stick with that same example. Every time you come home from work, Monday through Friday, you got your nine to five job, you come home from work, you pour a glass of wine, sit down on the couch for like 30 minutes and watch some TV with a sweet and salty snack and your glass of wine, okay? This is a habit that you have created. Now your cue, the cue is whatever reminds you of that habit. So maybe it's walking in the door for you. Maybe it's throwing down your keys. Maybe it is even, maybe it's even the drive home. On the drive home, you start thinking about that glass of wine. It's whatever, it's the reminder, right? So say, you know, in a different example, maybe every time you go to Starbucks, you get a croissant treat or something like that. The cue might be walking in the door to Starbucks, right? And then all of a sudden, you have the second part of the habit loop, and that is the craving, Okay, and the craving is the desire, right? The desire for whatever it is that you have cultivated to be your habit. So you get a craving for your glass of wine. Maybe you crave the relaxation before you have to hop up and start cooking dinner and and taking care of other people at home. You crave that just relaxing 30 minutes. That's your time. Everybody knows not to bother you when you have a glass of wine in your hand, right? For those 30 minutes. You crave the relaxation, the wine, the sweet and salty snack. And the way that I like to think of a craving is that it's like an itch that needs to be scratched, right? Like it's this uncomfortable feeling. Like imagine having an itch on your body that you're just refusing to scratch. It's this uncomfortable feeling and we want to scratch it and like make it go away, right? I even like to say that cravings are a form of emotional eating. Like when we eat to fulfill a craving, um, that's a form of emotional eating. And if that doesn't make sense to you, I want you to think about it. When you get a craving, that in itself is a really uncomfortable feeling that you, the only way to get rid of it, it feels like, is to eat. So that's an emotion in a a way, right? That's an emotion. You don't like the feeling of the craving. You're like, it's uncomfortable. To sit with it does not feel good. That's a negative emotion in your body. And the way that you have got got rid of it before is by, you know, giving into the craving or eating whatever it is that you are craving. So we went through the cue, the craving, and the next part is the response. So this is however you respond to the craving. So um, maybe your response is to to do exactly what you're craving, right? To drink the wine and have the snack, regardless of whether you're hungry, regardless of whether or not you really want the wine, right? I think there's such a difference between enjoying something super mindfully and just doing it because it's a habit, right? And you can tell if you're doing something just because of a habit is by starting to realize, is this, is this a pattern? Do I have a cue to my phone? Um, Okay. So yeah. So 
you know, is there a pattern there? Is there something that always cues the same response, right? That is how you can determine, or does it just kind of pop up out of nowhere and you're like, ooh, you know, this weekend it might be nice to have a cheese board and a glass of wine. I haven't done that in a while. I wouldn't say that that's necessarily a habitual craving. A craving feels like something you have to have to respond to right away. That's a habit loop, right? Something that's familiar. And every time you do this, you do that. Every time you go to the beach, you have white claws. Every time you get home from work, you have a glass of wine. Every time you go to Starbucks, you um, get a croissant and, and a super sugary drink. These are all habit loops that you formed. If it's like this pattern like that. So your response is you drink the wine, have the snack. And then the last piece of that completes the habit loop. And this is what your brain is trying to get all along is that reward, right? Whether the reward is, I think a lot of times when it comes to a craving, the reward is actually scratching that itch, right? So we call the craving kind of like an itch and an uncomfy feeling. When you fulfill it and you respond in the way that your craving is calling you to respond, you get the reward of scratching the itch. You no longer feel the craving, right? You feel better. You feel like an emotional relief. You don't feel that like, oh, that feeling inside you that is desire for something that you don't have. Um, In this case, though, as well, the reward could also be mental relaxation. Like I said, if that glass of wine, if you associate that with your mental relaxation and your 30 minutes of peace and quiet in your day, absolutely, I think that could be an alternative reward. So how does knowing this process help you with up-leveling your body and with fat loss? Well, I think that this can help you if you know about this pattern you now have the power to change it, right? And we can't really change the cue and the craving. I'll be honest about that. Unless you literally pick up and move your, you know, move houses or move lives. Even if you move houses still on the way home from work, you still might have that craving for wine. Um, but, you know, restructuring your entire life sometimes is not an option. So we can't really change the cue and the craving, but you do always, always, always have the power to change the response and the reward. Okay. Um, and you think you might think like, well, what do you mean you can change the response and the reward? And that's something that it, that is a strategy that I actually go over with clients inside the vibrancy guide, more specifically in week five of the vibrancy guide, you learn exactly how to change your response and change the reward so that you can better you know, be better and more easily be able to reach the ideal outcome that you are trying to get by up-leveling your body, right? Um, and that's way too long of a strategy to go into right now. But if that's something you're interested in learning how to do, uh, I would definitely check out the Vibrancy Guide. You can go to thevibrancyguide.com and read all about the 13-week program. It is a digital course in which it is specifically for women, just because um, I feel that women, as women, we have been, if you identify as a woman, we have completely been socialized to handle food and our bodies in a different way than men. And that's why I work specifically with women. 
So I help women understand what's going on inside their brains and understand this habit loop on even a deeper level than I explained in this podcast. And then I will give you a strategy for how to overcome, right? This, this habit loop and how to form those brand new tire tracks in a way that is the least resistant possible in my opinion. And um, you can form new tire tracks. And But if you're trying to do this on your own and you don't want the vibrancy guide, then just know that forming that new habit, again, is going to be kind of difficult in the beginning. And it's going to take a little bit of time. Um, but I am here for you if you need support through this process. Shoot me a DM on Instagram. Bright Light Chels is my handle. I would be so happy to help you with this. Um, or to help you get you set up inside the vibrancy guide. Okay, so that is the habit loop and how the habit loop is affecting your ability to lose fat or stick with nutritional changes and why psychology matters. <laughs> um, and one more thing. So people just say, I think when we think of changing a habit traditionally, we don't consider this habit loop process because we just say willpower, right? Willpower is always the answer. And if you want more deep dive of willpower, I believe it was the second episode you can listen to and listen all about willpower and why I think it's so misused in the fitness industry. Um, because when we're not aware of this habit loop and we say, just have willpower, just come home and don't have the wine, don't have the, don't, don't have the snacks, just don't do it, right? People tell you that, right? They'll just be like, be strong, have willpower. But that's not considering this habit loop. And it's not understanding that our brain is seeking that reward, right? When we just have willpower, there's absolutely no mental reward at all. And that's what makes it so difficult. Our brain is like, what the hell, dude? I would like my reward. Why are you not giving it to me? I'm going to continue sending these impulses and this, this craving and this urge more and more and more and stronger and stronger and stronger until you finally listen, right? The strategy I give you inside the vibrancy guide gives you an alternative reward so that you don't have just, you know, you don't have to struggle with just having willpower and only experiencing deprivation. You can actually experience success in a different way by changing the paradigm and changing the way that you react to cravings. And also, in my opinion, the most awesome thing about this is that when you retrain your brain, to respond to these cravings, um, eventually your brain realizes it's not going to get that reward that it wanted anymore. It's going to stop throwing a hissy fit and it's actually going to redirect and it's not going to send you as many impulses and cravings. This means that you will literally reduce your cravings and change the way that your brain operates and change the way that your brain reacts when it sees wine or when it sees, um, when it has that, those initial cues, right? You can change the way your brain responds to this. It, this is completely in your control. And how freaking cool is that? I think it's the coolest thing ever. That's why I love this work. I could talk about this stuff all day, every day. If you want to talk more about this, message me, DM me. I would be happy to chat it up about this stuff with you because I think it's so fun. Ah, so excited. <laughs> okay. No, but let's move on to the third reason because I am totally rambling on habits. I geek out on habits. I think it's the coolest thing ever. Okay. So, um, your primal brain, the third reason that psychology matters for fat loss and up-leveling your body is that your primal brain does not care about fat loss. 
I cannot emphasize this enough. Your primal brain does not care about fat loss. It solely cares about survival. So why this matters is because if you are blindly implementing a super, super aggressive calorie deficit, for example, a 1200 calorie diet, or you just decide that you want to slash calories as quickly as possible. And so therefore, you're just going to eat really super clean and eat not a whole lot for a few weeks. And you think you can kind of hack the system and make it happen faster. Your body and your brain will fight back in every single way it knows how. Because what does it care about? survival. (laughs) If there's one thing you can learn from my teachings in this podcast, your brain is wired to care about your survival. And, And when you go into a calorie deficit, your brain doesn't realize that what you're doing is trying to lose fat and look good in a bikini. Your brain thinks that you are starving. And your brain and your body thinks that you are starving and that you are don't have food available, number one, or you're not paying enough attention to the food available. So again, going back to our Paleolithic ancestors, you know, what would be beneficial to them if they were starving, literally close to dying because they're starving physically? Um, I know we use that word so lightly. We're like, I'm so starving, but no, you're really not. You're not starving. <laughs> but our ancestors who didn't have food readily available in the way that we do, they they actually might have been starving. And so what would be beneficial for their brain and their body to do? Would be beneficial if their body, first of all, made them super hungry, right? So that they would more likely pay attention to food and also make them hyper-focused on food, right? Your brain does not want you, if you're starving and you are a caveman, walking past a berry bush and not paying attention to it because you're too busy thinking about other things, right? Your brain's going to make sure that you are hyper-focused on food and you are paying attention to every source of food and thinking about it constantly. Now, fast forward to today. When we are starving our bodies, not necessarily actually starving, but when we go into an aggressive calorie deficit, have you ever had the experience of of being hyper-focused on food? I can tell you that I actually thought this was normal because this was my life for most of my life. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm a food addict. I'm obsessed with food. I think about food 24-7. Anytime food is around, I can't resist. What is wrong with me? Why are why can other people do this so easily and this is so hard for me? And this is why. It's because I was always trying to do the fat loss thing in too aggressive of a manner and my body was doing what it knew how to do to help me survive, right? Our body doesn't think about you know, how much body fat do you have? Your body is thinking about, oh, uh-oh, if we're rapidly losing calories, then we need to conserve, conserve. We need to pay attention to food. We need to pay attention to these things for survival. So a couple ways that your body and your brain will send you signals to eat more. Number one, your brain will, your body will produce more ghrelin, which is the hunger hormone. I like to think of it as the ghrelin gremlin because that helps me remember the name, you know, because there's ghrelin and there's leptin, which we'll talk about in a second. But ghrelin is the hunger hormone. It's like this hunger gremlin I like to imagine in your stomach. Obviously, this is not scientific. This is totally just my personification and how I how I remember the word ghrelin. Um, but it's this 
hunger gremlin living inside your stomach that's making you super hungry. Okay, so your body's going to produce more ghrelin when you're in an aggressive calorie deficit. Um, And you're also going to produce less leptin, which is the fullness hormone. And the, the leptin is what kicks in when you've eaten enough food so that you actually feel full. Now, something else, this is a completely different topic, but I do want to mention this so that you remember the importance of sleep is that when you get less sleep than your body needs, you do also produce more ghrelin and less leptin. That is something that sleep deprivation does to the human body. So in case you always think like, let me just hustle till I die. I can sleep when I die. I don't need sleep. Remember this. If you are trying to actively lose fat or up-level your body, not sleeping enough is going to sabotage you and backfire big time, sis. Okay. I don't know why I just called you sis. <laughs> what up, sis? Um. Anyways, okay, moving on. Okay, so you're going to lo- produce more ghrelin and less leptin. Obviously, that's going to affect you, and you're going to end up, when you don't have as much leptin being produced in your body, you're not going to get those fullness signals, which means when you do eat you are going to be, you're you're likely going to overeat or you're going to have a difficult time not overeating, right? You're going to be hungry all the time. You're going to have a really hard time stopping when you are actually physically full because you're not receiving the hormone that's telling you you're physically full. Do you see how this backfires, right? Um, And then the other thing is, again, that your, your brain is going to be hardwired to focus on food because your brain is going to want to make sure that you are focusing on food. It's going to send you impulses for cravings and urges, and it's going to make sure that every time food is around, you are paying attention to it, right? You Every break room donut, every time you pass by a fast food restaurant, every time you see somebody eating something else, you are going to be like hyper, hyper focused on it. Your mouth's going to start watering. You're going to be paying attention. If you are experiencing some of these biofeedback symptoms, uh, not symptoms, that's not the right word, but you get what I'm trying to say. Um, Side note, I had three alcoholic beverages last night and my brain just doesn't function the same way. (laughs) So yeah, we'll just, I'll leave it at that. (laughs) I am not a heavy drinker anymore like I used to be. Oh my gosh. We'll talk about college another. I feel like we should totally talk about my college experience on another episode. Would you guys like be interested in that? heavy drinking, the experience of a sorority and what that did to body image. Would that be something you guys would be interested in? If so, shoot me a DM on Instagram, Bright Light Chels. I just got the urge or the thought that maybe some of you might need to hear that. I don't know if I have anybody currently in college or that um, maybe had that experience of heavy drinking and being in a sorority um, and maybe needs that, maybe needs to hear my story about that. So Let me know if that's something you're interested in. But back to how your primal brain doesn't care about fat loss. I want you to Google the Minnesota starvation experiment if you think that this is interesting because that is the most interesting experiment that we have about dieting and what extreme calorie deprivation does to the body. Now, I want to be really, really clear about this because there are ways to work around this, right? And when you understand that this is happening in your brain and you know this information, then applied knowledge is power. Again, applied knowledge is power, right? So you know this information and what you can do about this is that you can you can actually use this information to your advantage and understand that too aggressive of a calorie deficit is going to have this effect on your brain and your body. But that doesn't mean that like a, a 
a, a moderate calorie deficit is going to have the same effect. A moderate calorie deficit does not do all these things to your body. So there is a way to lose fat. I mean, hence the reason that people are actually able to lose fat and keep it off. This People are able to do that. And I'm sure you might know people who have done that. It's possible. But If you are experiencing all of these things, if you're experiencing some of that biofeedback, like you're being upset, you feel obsessed with food, you feel like you're, you know, you're constantly hungry, you feel, I think hunger is normal. Experiencing hunger is such a normal human thing, but intense hunger that lasts, you know, if you feel it most of the day and you're just intense hunger, you have a hard time recognizing when you are physically full. Um, And some other signs that you're maybe in too aggressive of a calorie deficit, you may be extremely fatigued all the time, always having intense cravings, your hair might be falling out. These are all signs that your calorie deficit is too, too, too extreme. And if you pull it back and you go to more of a moderate calorie deficit, which is what I guide you through in the Vibrancy Guide, then you can experience slow and steady results that actually last because your body is not going to be sending these intense impulses and urges to overeat. And I talk about calories and I talk about calorie deficit because I, I, yeah, the Vibrancy Guide is not a calorie counting program, but calories are a real thing and we can't just ignore them, right? Like calories are a real thing. A calorie is a unit of energy. And so to ignore them, I think is not the correct way to handle it. We can't just pretend that they don't exist. Um, But there are ways to go into a calorie deficit and lose body fat if that's what you desire to do without counting calories. And I guide the women through the vibrancy guide and I teach them how to do this. So if that is something that you are interested in doing um, and you are interested in learning more about the psychology of eating and everything that we talked about in this podcast, if you want to learn about more concepts of the psychology of eating and more importantly, what tactics and strategies you can use to work with the psychology of eating in your fat loss process, then I want you to go to thevibrancyguide.com right now and go check out the course and see if it's something that could be beneficial to you. Once you learn this information and learn how to work with it, it changes the game when it comes to fat loss and also just appreciating your body and understanding what's happening, right? It just feels feels like less of a battle when we know what's really happening inside our brain instead of just fighting the impulse and the urge all the time. So to sum up the three reasons that I think psychology matters just as much, if not more, than nutrition when it comes to fat loss and up-leveling your body. The first reason is because you know what to do, but you just don't do it. So the knowledge isn't that isn't the problem. It's understanding what's happening inside your brain. The second reason is that your habit loops are keeping you from making consistent choices for fat loss. And the third reason that psychology matters is because your primal brain does not care about fat loss. It solely cares about survival. (laughs) So again, if you want more info, check out the Vibrancy Guide. Check out my Instagram, Bright Light Chels. And I talk about this all the time. Um, 
you can find lots of information there. Uh, you can also find the link to, to sign up for the Vibrancy Guide if you're feeling called to do that. You can find that there. Um, I don't currently have a close date for the Vibrancy Guide, but it's something I'm thinking about. So if it's something, I'm thinking about closing it and, and reopening it. But yeah, so if that's something you're interested in, go check out my Instagram. It is currently open for enrollment. It is $333 and that is also something that you can break up into three monthly payments. So uh, every month you will be charged $111. But if you break that down, the 13 weeks of information that you get, first of all, the value is huge. This is the same information that I give my one-on-one clients who pay over $1,000 to work with me. Um, It is a four-figure program. You get the same information and you get an insane amount of support in the Facebook group. And you also have the option to add on those one-on-one calls. So the value is through the roof for the price. And the price is also, um, I think it's three, it equals out to $3.65 a day, which is, again, just such an insane value for the amount of information you get. If you're considering this and the money is a problem, I want you to think of value versus cost. So if you're, the value is, this is something that will, you'll carry through the rest of your life, okay? This is information that you will never feel the need to go on a diet again um, once you learn this information and start implementing it. So I want you to think of the value that that would provide you and like how many diet books, how many weight loss pills, how many how many um, detox plans have you purchased in your life? Probably more than $333 worth, <laughs> right? So, um, and read more about the men's value on the vibrancyguide.com. Um, check out the testimonials. I have three testimonials up there and I think I'm going to rotate those out and change those out so that you can read other women's experiences as well. But read about the value and see how much this is worth. All right, to wrap this up, I hope that you learned a lot about psychology. I hope that this was eye-opening. I know when I learned this stuff, it blew my mind and it was so eye-opening to me. But yeah, again, if you are watching or listening to this podcast and got a lot of value out of out of it, then please take a screenshot, share it on your Instagram. Tell me what your favorite part was, what you learned. Um, and if you feel called to leave me a rating and review, um, this is a new podcast and I appreciate the support. The reviews have brought me near tears. I think there's three, but it's even just with three reviews, it makes me so happy to hear that you guys are getting value out of this. So All right. I hope you have a beautiful, beautiful day and I love you so much. You are so vibrant. You're such a ray of sunshine and I hope you just go out in the world and show that today. All right. Have a wonderful day. Talk to you next time.